mass start and uh, I had a double pull about 100 meters to start the course with everyone else and I ended up breaking that one of the poles on the off the start line I, I ended up throwing the poles off the side anyway and I skied about five kilometers into the race with the lead pack without poles and uh, it was just so thrilling I just kept it going and kept it going and I said well hey maybe I can win this thing it'll be amazing <laughs> did not have both and so I took the lead um, it was a 10k and I, I took the lead at about 5k in and my one of my skis ended up breaking in half and I had about three kilometers left and I had you know no poles and one good ski and I, <laughs> I thought this is this is just unbelievable episode 365 Andy Liebner talks about Nordic skiing and the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics you're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hey friends, Kurt here. I have Andy Liebner with us today. Andy is a ski coach for Nordic Ski Racing for the U.S. Olympics. Matter of fact, he just got back from Pyeongchang, Korea. And I'm interested to hear how that went. But he also is the founder of the United States Ski Pole Company. And so we're going to be talking about Nordic ski racing and a few other things, as well as what it's like to start a new business in the outdoor space. So, Andy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, man, so you uh, you have quite a, a history behind you. For starters, let's talk about where you grew up, because I think that's pretty unique. So you grew up in Sodotna, Alaska. So what was that like? Yeah, you know, Sodotna, Alaska is a wonderful place. Uh, it's a big fishing town in the summer and a little bit quieter in the winter. But uh, as a high school student there, it, it doesn't get much better uh, for opportunities. And um, running and skiing trails are just fabulous. Mm. Anybody who's ever been there and, and trained there, um, they would, they'd know it. Saltesche Trails is it's got over 30 kilometers of trail now. It's, it's world-class. So um, it's worth the opportunity to go there sometime. So help me out with my uh, my geography just a little bit. Where in Alaska would I find Soldatna? Yeah, Soldatna is on the Kenai Peninsula. It's in the center of the state, right on the southern tip. So there's a peninsula that kind of hangs out underneath Anchorage um, geographically um, south, and it takes about two and a half hours to drive there on uh, Highway 1. So how far are you from Seward? Seward, uh, it's about 75 miles. So fairly close to Seward. Now, is Soldatna yeah. north or south of Seward? It's actually due west of Seward. It's on the other side of the peninsula. Okay. All right. Cool. And so people always want to know what the weather's like in Alaska. So I might as well ask, what was the weather like growing up in Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> the weather, you know, it has four seasons just like everywhere else. Um, four beautiful seasons. Uh, the, the summertime is, you know, peak sunlight. And it's great because you can do stuff all the time. Um, it's not such a bad thing to have light all the time when, when you're uh, you're out late or, or fishing or, or out running on the trails. Like, you know, you always got sunlight. So it's a little bit safer for um, for being on the roads, for being on the trails and animals around. Um, and then the fall and spring are just like everywhere else. You have, um, you know, colder weather, either warming or cooling. And then wintertime, you have a little more darkness, but um, still that brings you know, brings and keeps the cold longer as well. So I, I just really like being in a four-season area. 
Oh, yeah. And you're on the coast there, which moderates the climate a lot compared with farther inland in Alaska, right? Yep, slightly. Uh, Fairbanks has probably the biggest swing with temperature ranges um, because they're so far inland. So they have um, some real peak um, record-breaking <laughs> temperatures there with the colds and the heats, too. They're, they're over 100 every year mm, in the wow. summer. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. So what brought you down to Michigan, where you are now? I had some family down here that uh, that I thought it would be be more convenient to be near family again. But we had a lot of connections with uh, manufacturing and and uh, just uh, more cent- being more centrally located in the United States. You know, if I was to pick a place that would be the easiest to um, live and connect with people and have some some common um, interests with, I thought Michigan was a good um, good place to just start and kind of business. Well, tell us about where you are in Michigan, because Michigan has a lot of variety too. So your location in Michigan, describe that for us. Yeah. Michigan is a really interesting state um, in regards to its its possibilities and and what you can do there. And and, um, from Detroit all the way down to uh, Ironwood, that's a long drive. Now, if you can believe it, it, it takes over 10 hours if you're if you're lucky maybe close to 11 or 12 with with weather to get from one side of the state to the other Mm. there are very few states outside of alaska that take that long to drive through so um there's two peninsulas in michigan there's the upper peninsula and there's the lower peninsula and another thing interesting fact about both peninsulas is that they're both um surrounded by water on both sides different lakes on both sides so the southern peninsula has lake huron on the east side and lake michigan on the west side and the upper peninsula is lake superior which is a complete border along the, the southern or the northern coast and then lake michigan's on the, the southern um coast for the most part so we're located right at the tip of the lower peninsula so the lower michigan looks like a mitten and uh there's a bridge called mackinaw bridge it's uh right at you know connecting the upper peninsula lower peninsula that we're about 16 miles from that bridge on the east side so we get a lot of lake effect um, we just got uh, two to th- three inches last weekend. We're supposed to get eight to 10 inches here tomorrow and the next day. And today is the 2nd of April. So, um, you know, it's nice to have some good long seasons here as well. And it's good for our product testing, too. We, you know, we have snow right here in the parking lot. I can make a new pole or um, basket fitting or a strap unique thing that's never been done and and we can test it right out here in the parking lot there's very few places that that actually make a product and you can test it right right out the front door nice so so just out of curiosity having been on the coast in alaska and then being sandwiched between the lakes and in upper michigan um which one has the more favorable weather cycles you think uh, recently in Alaska, it's been pretty warm and, and the weathers aren't, or the, the winters are not predictable. So I'd say uh, Michigan is more dependable on, on the weather and, um, you know, it's, uh, being remotely uh, distant when you're in Alaska, it's difficult to just get in your car and, and drive, you know, a couple states where there is different weather. So um, I'd say it's, it's more favorable to be um, here in Michigan and um, Alaska, if you're if you're here in like a position like me, like working and, and traveling and, and uh, like I'm running a business and doing sales and I have to go to events, um, it's just more convenient. But if I if I was to live somewhere um, to like retire and and just enjoy the weather, I would say Alaska all the way. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just it's, it's really nice out there and quiet. And uh, once you get out of the cities, like you're you're out in the 
out in areas where there aren't any people and the people that are around are have that mindset of they want their own solitude and and there's space to enjoy land and life right ah sounds nice well hey tell us about pyeongchang uh the olympics there you just got back so first uh what took you to korea for the olympics yeah, well, I've been a coach, a uh, private coach for several years now, and I was re- I was contacted by a Mexican athlete. He's a triathlete and a runner, um, wanted to go to the Olympics, and yeah, you know, first contacted me about just over a year before the Pyeongchang Olympics and said he wanted to go, and I said, well, in five years, sure, we can do it. And he said, no, I'm going to go next year, and I said, well, <laughs> you got a lot of work to do, um, and I out I, I laid it out in front of him what he had to do, and I did, really didn't expect him to to complete that or be as um, dedicated to it to to make it but he did you know and there are people out there that are that dedicated and, and willing to put in that much work and dedicate their lives to it and and so he ended up qualifying and um, I brought him over there as his coach and uh, he competed in the 15k and we had a um, interesting experience you know like going over to a, a country that uh, I've never been I've never been to Asia he never been to Asia and uh, helped help them out there the weather was really um really cold and windy uh, it was colder and windier than than i would have expected um so it was a lot different than than either of us had ever experienced but uh for his, his race day it was it was really nice and there were some nice days there too um that region of of korea is on the northern eastern pocket so it's not really heavily populated and there weren't as many um, fans that were attending this Olympics. So it was almost like there was a bigger following on the media mm. and um, a lot more coverage, obviously, millions of people around the world. But, the, you know, there's only about a quarter of the people in the stands that you would normally expect. Wow. And, um, I, don't, I don't know how much of the issues with North Korea, um, the unknowns there, were restricting people from, from coming you know, or, or feeling safe traveling to, you know, the Olympics right on the border of a country with so many question marks about what their potential haphazard issues could be um, with such an event going on. So um, we made the most of it and, and had a great time. The people were so friendly, the, uh, the local Korean people in the whole country seemed to be pretty keen on, on having a good Olympics there. And they did. They 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 did a wonderful job. Built some wonderful facilities. Just just beautiful. You know, the media made a, a pretty big deal out of North Korea and South Korea, kind of uh, holding up the olive branch for the Olympics. Did you get a strong sensation of that while you were there, or or was that more of a media thing? Uh, I, th- I think it was more of a media thing. I I saw some of the athletes from North Korea. I uh, stood right next to them. Um, we weren't allowed to talk to them or associated all with them. Um, they actually had bodyguards protecting them from anyone giving them any information mm. outside of their own um, group. So it, it was really awkward to, uh, to have them like, like around us, but not being able to communicate or, or even make eye contact with us. It, it was really hard to describe. I remember one day in the, in the food hall, like, you know, you have this ominous noise of just people talking and conversations and it just got quieter and quieter and quieter. And then all the heads started to turn and, you know, at the, at who was walking in, it was the, you know, the team of North Koreans and it just got really quiet, like almost to the point of a pin dropping when they first walked in and people were turning around 
with tears in their eyes after they were seeing them walk in with bodyguards and just the look on these, these people's faces that it was a great opportunity for these guys to come to the Olympics. Um, and there was a girl too, from the cross country skiing two 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 men and one woman. Um, but just like seeing them restricted there in a place that, that, that the politics should be dropped. It's, you know, that's, that's the foundation of the Olympics is to be able to compete and, um, and, and put all the politics behind. Like it's not supposed to have any, bearing at all and we can still get along as human beings in sport mm-hmm. and that is the first time i've ever seen or heard of that not taking place you know like uh, you know, imagine in the 1930s when you know we had african the first african-americans competing in the olympics in, in berlin and u.s not allowing anybody to talk to them i mean imagine what that would have been like for those athletes but for also other athletes around from other teams Right. You know, mm. that that's the way it was for us. So um, that, that's what I saw uh, from, from someone being there as a, as a coach and, and other athletes. It's like, it, 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 I don't even know how to put words around that, that inner feeling that you had. Yeah, that's kind of wild. You know, it's, it's often that way, though. The media portrays something with an interpretation that they think is favorable. And, and uh, but when people experience something on the scene, it's not always in direct alignment, you know, with what we hear on the media. I we, we have a ways to go. That's what you're saying. It's nice to to hope for a peaceful, you know, relationship. But the reality oh, yeah. is it, it was still we have a ways to go. Yeah, and it was it was really great to have them in, in the competitions. Like I think everybody wanted them to be there for sure. But there was there was just some restriction, like resistance that was coming from the North Korean side of them being allowed to be there like they were allowed to be there but they weren't allowed to emotionally be there right they had a physical presence but there was just no emotion in any of those people mm. they had to they had to keep it under wraps if they felt anything i'm sure yeah which you know it, you take it for what it is interesting well let's talk about the olympics in general um being an olympic coach you've had the opportunity to see what the whole thing's about is it as awesome as as we all hope that it is it is. It's it's the light once in a lifetime opportunity um, that you get to see people you know who have worked their whole lives and, and dedicated so much to making their body a you know performing machine and you know seeing them all compete in a variety of sports it's just it's just amazing you know no matter if you're doing a mile on a treadmill or you're competing in the Olympic mile like if you give your best effort, you feel good inside. Right. And to see, see a group of people in, you know, competing at their best, all excited about it, whether they had a, a good time or, um, you know, placement or whatever. Um, they're all pretty excited to be there and be able to have the opportunity to compete at their best in the, the eye of the world. So um, viewing that from the sideline at, with the head of a coach, you know, which I've, um, I really, really enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed being a coach much more than I ever enjoyed being an athlete. Um, I, I just, I just love it. I just love seeing people give their all and being proud of themselves for giving their all. Cause that's, so, uh, that's one thing that nobody can ever take away. Like people can, people can finish mid pack and have the best race of their lives and feel just as good as if they got the gold medal. I love that. That's beautiful. You know, it, in our society, in the Western mindset, 
first place is everything. You know, people forget who got second, which is so sad. But I love what you just said, the spirit of, of the effort and everyone giving it their all and that they can feel so rewarded whether they place high or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is cool. I love that kind of uh, of an atmosphere. And do you feel like generally there's just a lot of support even between the various sports, between the athletes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, from from team to team and from athlete to athlete, even on the same team, everybody wants the best for, for each other. And, um, you know, it, it has a good heart. That's basically what it comes down to. And I told my athlete when I first started working with him, because he was so concerned about points and qualifying and everything was about points, points, points. And I said, you know, I'm not going to coach you if you're just chasing points. And I told him that in the beginning. And I said, you have to learn to love the sport. So forget the, the qualifying standards, forget the points, forget all that. I said, just, just learn to love to, ski, love to ski and you will learn to ski better and be more comfortable and you'll give a better effort. Cause if, if you're, competing or training with a mentality of fear you're always restricting yourself from the love that has a far superior power Mm, i love that you know that's a perfect segue i would love to talk to you about the olympics for the rest of the show but we'd be cheating ourselves by doing that because we also want to hear about nordic skiing and the love of skiing, and you're not talking about alpine downhill skiing, you're talking about Nordic skiing. So describe, first of all, what that is for those who uh, may not know. And then we want to talk about what makes the sport unique and special. Yeah, so Nordic skiing is, is another term for cross-country skiing, and it's really a lifelong skiing sport. Um, you know, you have people in their 70s, 80s, 90s competing in cross-country skiing, or even just outdoor enthusiasts that can cross-country ski um, if you snowshoe you can cross-country ski if you if you hike through the woods you can cross-country ski and it doesn't cost anything with the daily um you know the daily attendance um if you're you know for most places uh, you know there are trail fees at, at cross-country ski areas and it's important to, to pay those not bootleg it because that supports grooming and more support for for uh, trail maintenance and, and main, you know, um, facilities of stuff for cross country skiing, but those are low compared to the cost of a lift ticket on a daily basis and the hazards of Alpine skiing at high speeds with heavy gear. So cross country skiing, um, is, is a little safer and it's a little cheaper and it can be done in more places than, than Alpine skiing. And, um, you also have a lot more cardiovascular benefits, which will give you more longevity in life. So it's more than just, you know, an Olympic sport. It's, it's a lifelong sport that anybody can do that has the, um, the passion and um, it's low impact and, and uh, they can often do it right in their backyard. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I, I do enjoy cross-country skiing and I've not done as much of it as I would like to. I would like to do more, but here's something interesting. I trained really hard for mountain biking over the last summer and when winter came, I thought, okay, I have got to be ready for skiing now because I'm in the best shape I've been in in years. And I jumped on my Alpine skis to downhill. And I was like, nope, didn't work. The uh, The type of muscle movement required is so different when you're trying to hold yourself in a position to go downhill. But when you cross-country ski, you've got the full movement kind of like you're hiking or something. So maybe that would translate a little bit better because it's more of an active muscular sport. Am I right about that? You're absolutely right. Yeah, from from mountain biking, um, the motion, especially with classical style skiing, um, you know, with your legs, that's it's 
there's a lot of more muscles that are going to relate in that direction than alpine. So, yeah. Cool. So what's your favorite thing about Nordic skiing? I'd say the, the my favorite aspect of, of Nordic skiing, like being on skis, is 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 having that mentality that you're your own motor, you're the engine, and you control the speed. And when you when you crest a, a uphill, you know after you've climbed to the top, you can visualize for the moment, you know that you accomplished this climbing up however high that hill was. You climbed it, and now you get the benefit of going down the other side and it's enjoyable and you feel the, the wind through your hair and, and it's all about, uh, you know, just achieving one little goal after another. And you, you always feel successful after cross country skiing because you're, you're not just going downhill, you're going uphill as well. And that, that takes, um, dedication and time and, uh, you know, mastery of, of techniques and, uh, there's all that to, to factor in and, so it's really just being being your own motor and controlling your speed and and uh, you know taking in fresh oxygen, being out on the trees and the environment, gets you away from your daily grind and it's a great stress reliever. You know people go out and, and just spend hours out there skiing around with big grins on their face because they love it. You know I took a skate skiing class a couple of years ago and the technique was uber critical to get it right. Is cross country skiing Nordic skiing? Does that require that much technique? Is there a big learning curve? It all depends on your skill level. So if you, as a child, were were introduced to a lot of um, uh, kinesthetic and um, big movements, balance type thing, it will become easier to learn cross-country skiing. If, if you weren't naturally born with a high skill set for physical uh, exercise and things, it's going to be harder. So there's, there's a couple of things that... that to factor in, I, you know, I can't answer that without putting it out there that everybody's born with different skill levels. Just like some people are better at music, some people are better at math, some people are better at um, art. You know, so that it's one of those naturally born abilities that people will naturally have. So it, it takes it takes skill. Everybody can learn it, but those that are naturally gifted in that area um, and have been introduced to it, you know, or, or athletic um sports that require a lot of balance and things they're gonna they're gonna be a little easier to uh to train and and uh learn technique so it's uh it's just across the board same same type of thing so mm-hmm. you know sports vary weightlifting is a has technique as well but it's a lot about strength right but then you have other mm-hmm. sports like rock climbing you think it's a lot about strength but there's so much technique involved it there it's almost more important to have excellent technique. Where would you put uh, Nordic skiing on that spectrum? Is it more about can you muscle through it, or is it a matter of getting the technique right so you don't have to? Oh, that's a good question. There, I'd say that it's a balance. You really have to balance the two, um, knowing when to put your strength into the movement, so when to implement, you know, the right amount of power on either your poles or your skis. And, you know, the timing of your technique is the biggest thing. So um, you have to have both, no doubt. But um, someone who's just like a bodybuilder and jumps on skis, they're going to struggle. <laughs> <laughs> right. They, they're gonna, they might be the strongest one out there. But if they don't know what direction and, and when to push, they're, they're just pushing in the wrong directions at the wrong time. So I don't want to answer that incorrectly. So I'll just say it's, 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 a, 
to, to find balance in between to find the perfect um, perfect formula. Well, let me tell you my background just a little bit. Extreme novice when it comes to Nordic skiing. I'll just say that up front. Okay. Uh, I used to do some backcountry trips on Nordic skis with a backpack. I've done that, you know, several times. I used to go out on the weekends and Nordic ski uh, frequently, but I haven't done it in a long time. I built uh, or laid out a trail at our old house in the mountains that contoured the slope, and we could get about a mile loop out of that. And I would do that sometimes just for exercise. But I say all that because no one ever taught me the technique, right? And I find myself struggling by trying to do everything with my arms, knowing that I'm not supposed to, there's got to be a better way. How much of it is arm movement versus leg strength and leg movement? With uh, classical style skiing, um, it's different. And in skate skiing, it's it's different, um, arm to leg ratio and it's that that answer is going to vary from coach to coach from athlete to athlete and also the conditions so if you're on icy conditions um you can't get an edge on your ski let's say you're skating um you're going to use more of your arms if it was uh more deep powder and where um you know your poles might be punching through the snow and you have more surface contact with your skis you're going to use more legs so it really depends on the snow conditions which is going to dictate your upper upper body lower body you know, uh, power usage. And then in, in classic style, generally it's more upper body. And I only say that because people are double pulling uh, almost everything now in, in classic skiing and they're making courses more, more difficult. So you'll have to stride and shortening poles and making rules and regulations. So people will have to uh, stride more. Um, but there is a lot of uh, leg use and power um, necessary with, uh, with striding and, and kick double pull for uh, classic style so you know again I, I can't there's no definite number like 50 50 80 20 it's so variable based on the conditions and your uh the course that you're skiing on that will that will dictate that what i love about what you just said though is that it is a full body workout you you're using your whole body right and there, yeah, it's going to vary in degree but that's one of the things that's so unique about it and so cool so not all sports do that you know mm-hmm yeah you know, you see well-balanced uh, bodies. You know, the, the athletes have well-balanced in um, their muscle structure. You know, yeah. you see speed speed skaters and, and road bikers. They have huge lower bodies, but their upper bodies are just, you know, hardly nothing. You know, they're 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 and if anything, their muscles in their lower extremities have have used the upper body muscle um, as <laughs> energy over the years. You know, it does it harvests. If, if your body doesn't have enough energy within the side of itself, it will use um, sources within its own system. So it's actually taken muscle from the upper body and moved it to the lower body um, for those sports. So, you know, just to give you an example of, of uh, some sports that aren't so balanced, you know, it's pretty obvious with them. You know, I, uh, I struggled with a back issue for years that, you know, I, I've grown and, and healed from, but I wanted to throw this out there. When I cross-country ski, and I already told you what a novice I was, but I would find that the amount of core strength required was surprising. And I would, I would do a mile or so in, in tough conditions, and I would feel like, whoa, I don't know how much of this I can do, but I knew that if I kept doing it, it seemed to me like it would be an ideal sport for strengthening your back and your core. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yep. It's a huge core strength um, sport that uh, you benefit from, like in other sports too you you can basically train 
in cross-country skiing, doing roller skiing and, and running with poles and all the, the ski drills that, that are required to be a good cross-country skier, those will all relate into any sport. I've known a lot of, a lot of athletes that, that have just jumped into professional sports of other, a whole bunch of different sports, you know, triathlons and swimming events and mountain running and you name it. Like they can fare with the best in, in those sports that require a big endurance um, balance, sustainability, and, you know, just high, high endurance events. Like they can fare with the best. Mm. that if if they're interested in and in going after it you know from the cross-country skiing background where it's very rare to have someone from another sport jump into cross-country skiing and compete with the very best in this sport it doesn't go it doesn't go so well the other way but it, it does relate well into any other area you know back to our ski season just briefly my son was saying man i, I feel like my back gets a little bit loosey-goosey when i ski i need to work on something i said well that's why you got to cross train but what you're saying here is that this Nordic skiing kind of is the cross train. It's the whole body, everything. Yep, it, it is. It is. And that's what I teach with um, the clinics that I do around the country. So with my, my company and my passion of, of uh, coaching and you know, I have a degree in it, I use the opportunity to introduce um, basic technique to uh, these you know kids, high school programs, master groups, anyone who's willing to come these organizations that I'm presenting at to learn. I, I, I give this freely and, you know, you can ask anybody who's been to my clinics, they're, they're worth it. And the time, the, the amount of information I'll provide from just a quick five seconds of watching you ski, like is really valuable. Like it really changes people. I have people come up to me throughout the season saying, you know, that, that tip you gave me right away, you know, and then this is what I learned later in, in the clinic and everything else. But like those, those tips you said, like I've implemented into my season, my skiing, my technique. And it's just, that's the best thing that's helped me, you know, and people are, are really thankful from that. So um, I really believe in, in, um, in doing that for the goodness of, of the sport and increasing the popularity of it and increasing the level as well. So um, I, I drive around to, uh, to places that, that encourage this and, and it's a good way of introducing our product to uh, to teams and, and um, ski shops and clubs and just the general public, you know, saying this is uh, these are roller skis that I that I distribute. These are ski poles that I make. And, um, you know, you try them out. And while we're trying them out, I give you uh, some great feedback on your own personal technique and, you know, take it or not. But it's um, some really good stuff that I've learned over the years. And uh, it, it seems to prove itself really worthy. And, and all my uh, pupils that have, that have uh, learned from me are, are, you know, understanding of that and they really appreciate it. So I get a lot of people um, asking me to come back to the places that I've, I've taught clinics with in the past. And uh, it's, it's really a growing number of, of followers that are, that are really understanding to what it takes to be a Nordic skier. And they're willing to, to make some technique adaptions because they see that it's going to help them um, just not only move faster over the ground, but it also decreases their heart rates, increases their enjoyability, um, you know, for, for all, both classic skating and uphills, downhills, flats, cornering, everything. Mm, that sounds so cool. And I'm going to say this because you probably wouldn't just volunteer it yourself, but I, I was told, I have heard of you that 
you're one of these guys that'll go to the small town that everyone else is ignoring, and you'll put on a clinic to help people out for the love of the sport. And uh, I'd just like to say thank you, because I think it's awesome when people are willing to, to do that. It's, all, it's not all about the money in the business for you. Yep, that's right. Um, any any real coach will tell you they'll they'll stop and help an athlete just for the goodness of of the athlete. You know, it, it goes along the same lines as uh, you know a doctor is born to to help people. And when it comes down to it, you know, if somebody's dying on the street, doctor's going to stop and and take care of the patient, whether they're going to get paid or not. That's the best thing. That's the right thing to do. Mm. And there's so few people that that have the ability to see technique um, that needs to be um, addressed. You know, I, I naturally have a, a gift with my eye to see flaws and I don't tell you what the flaws are. I'll tell you what you need to do. So they're corrected in a very direct and, and compassionate way that you'll be able to accept it and make those changes. You know, I've worked with so many people now that, that I, I've, I'd like to say I've seen everything, but I'm still seeing new, new stuff. Everybody's got some unique, you know, techniques that they've learned or just naturally doing. And, um, while I don't, teach a standard thing i i I look at your your body length of limbs and torso and and timing of things and i'm gonna give you the best for what's best for you and what you're trying to achieve as i'm sure you know from listening to the adventure sports podcast some of the safest and best snow conditions for backcountry skiing of the whole year happen in the springtime. And Bentgate has the gear you need. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes. And they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado or go to Bentgate.com to find your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events. Spring is here and camping season is upon us. Visit our site at 180tech.com for your next camp stove. The 180 stove and smaller 180 flame are combustible fuel stoves, which are designed to burn the fuel that nature provides you at your campsite. There's no need to lug heavy and bulky fuel canisters along with you on the trail. The 180 flame and 180 stove are built in America and have no moving parts to fail you in the field. Check them out at www.180tack.com. Your purchase helps support the Adventure Sports Podcast. Every time that I interview someone about Nordic skiing, I get excited about the sport. And I think, why am I not doing more of that? You know, will you do us a favor of sharing a story, a personal experience with Nordic skiing that would help to uh, illustrate, I guess, how cool the sport is and why it is that you love it and do it? One day up in Alaska, uh, we were training. I was at the University of Alaska Anchorage. We were training up at Hatcher Pass. Um, There's usually early snow up there. So um, I just remember it being so sunny out. The weather was just perfect. The snow 
crystal structure was just right. And we had our, our wax just perfect for a classic skiing that day. And it just, life just didn't get any better than, than what we had right there. Like we were, we were doing intervals and um, the team camaraderie of, of trying to, you know, keep up with each other. Like if you didn't, if you didn't keep up, you're going to get dropped. And um, while each one of us were trying to keep up with each other, we're also pushing each other. So like we had just had the perfect snow, um, the perfect scenery, uh, the perfect team, the perfect workouts. Um, and, you know, we were working so hard and it just was so fun. I, I just will never forget those moments um, where we just, you know, you get out of the van together and you're, you're joking about something and you're, you're putting your skis in the snow and somebody throws a snowball and, you know, like you do your warm up and it can be routine for some people, but other people like you cherish those moments. Cause you know, they're not going to be there forever. You know, that, that, uh, that, uh, things are going to change and there's never the same setting twice, you know, but just having, uh, being out there in the middle of the wilderness and, you know, um, Hatcher Pass is a unique place in itself where it's an old mining town that's been abandoned for years and years, decades. So your the ski trails are kind of interweaved like an old downtown strip and an old mining town where we're just skiing hard through this town that, you know, it's just a ghost town. And <laughs> we're bringing like today's new age, like ski stuff, like right through the, the middle of it. it it's something about that which which it's like this is old school alaska and then we're like the new the new breed and the old you know, it's almost like we had ghosts watching us as our crowd <laughs> that's cool because it, it's very few people that actually like cheer and come out to, to be cold on the sidelines watching our events so we kind of imagined that we were being watched by these ghosts in this mining town and that was enough for us to keep us going and we just loved it. Like we, we don't need, you know, the media, we don't need anything besides just us and breathing hard snow conditions and, and just looking forward to the future and where this is going to bring us that it, it, there's just so many things there. I, I don't even know how to describe the whole picture, but I hope I've done a good job at, at, at giving you that, that story of, of, you know, experience of what it's like to be on skis in that context. Mm. One thing it makes me think of is the the few times in my life when I was doing a sport that I had trained enough for and the whole body's working hard, the lungs are pumping, the heart's pumping, and but it, it feels good. It's like, I, I'm strong enough to do this and look what I can do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the moments that, that you're going to never regret. It's It's painful, like physically when you're there, but they're the most emotionally rewarding and memorable. So yeah. the harder, the harder that you work physically, the more mentally strong you're going to be. And just like with muscle structure, um, it's, it's breaking it down to have it recover, which makes it stronger later during, after the recovery. So, um, you need that to be stronger and the sport just breathes that. Mm. Well, you make me long for it even more. I can't wait to get on my mountain bike again. And it's the end of the ski season in Colorado, which is a bummer because now I want to start Nordic skiing more. I could still get in probably another four weeks, but <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, you know, I'm coming out there to uh, to spend two, three weeks in Colorado and then another two weeks in Idaho. I'll be out there at the end of April, early May. Right on. Where are you going to be? Yeah. Well, I'm going to start in um, Monument. 
and then go up to Boulder and then make my way west towards Utah. And I'll be going through um, like Frisco and, and uh, Breckenridge and uh, might even go to Leadville. I've, co- I've contacted uh, quite a few high schools and, and uh, some ski clubs out there. So I'll be, I'll be making my way through the state. That's awesome. Well, maybe we'll be able to, to catch you on your way through. I've always known wrong from right For the dark run into the light I try to run and I try to hide You know, it's a great time to ask, if people are interested in trying this sport and they haven't done it before, how do they get started? What do they do? Well, I guess if they're like an absolute beginner, they don't have any equipment, then I would say, you know, go to a ski shop and get outfitted with the first pick your, pick your boot. Boot's the most important thing. Get your feet warm, your feet comfortable, and then get a good pole, which is your second most important thing, and then get to, get to ski in that order. So, um, you know, they, there are a lot of ski shops in Colorado, but make sure you go to a, a, a good one um, that has good cross-country um, equipment. And if they can rent stuff, that's a good way of, of trying it out first. Well, there's a lot of rental shops now to get a feeling of it. And there's they also often um, give lessons and things at a lot of these Nordic centers. So yeah, I would yeah, suggest looking them up in, in their area and going from there. What I love about the Nordic centers, too, is that the pricing is less than downhill skiing, alpine skiing. If you want to go skiing for a day, you want to learn something, you can get a package where they give you a lesson, they give you all the gear you need, and you're on groomed trails where you can really learn. And you're like, well, really, I can do all that for that price? That's It's cheap, really. It's affordable. It is. It is, yeah. And the equipment um, is comparable, too, with Alpine. Al- you know, it's interesting. Alpine skis are are about the same price, if not a little bit more than Nordic. And the the Alpine pole is way cheaper than the Nordic pole. Um, but the boots are about, about the same price now too. So the ski and the booter are about the same price. Um, but the pole, the Nordic pole is a lot more and that's what I make. And I'll, I'll tell you why the pole is worth more is because it's your main means propulsion. Mm-hmm. You have to have a good Nordic pole to, to cross country ski. Well, it's, it's what you're carrying with your upper body. So it has to be lightweight. It's what you're pushing down with. So it has to be strong. It's what you're moving around, you know, such big distances. So it has to swing well. It's what you're um, forcing through with your hand. So your strap has to have the right support. And, you know, if you're wearing a glove that's that's uh, too thin because your hands are, are getting hot, you need a strap that's thermal. And if you have too thick of a, of a, of a glove, then your hands are going to sweat a lot and your, your straps aren't going to fit properly. So um, there's a lot of features that we've, we've put in there um, that cover the basics of cross-country skiing um, well and, and performance aspects. And, and the baskets, too. If your pole is punching through the snow, you know, even six inches, often they go through a foot or so because of the groomings on the top. Um, it's hard packed and then it's soft underneath or it's slushy or if it's um, you get that sticky stuff where your baskets are grabbing. Like we've made our baskets um, interchangeable so you can put a bigger basket on there about two seconds and just swap them right out and they, they fit in your pocket well so you can carry them. Nobody has an option like that. So all those features um, are, are so critical and 
they're not offered with other brands. Um, so that's the importance of making a, you know, getting the right package. So boot, pole, ski. Awesome. You and Alpine skiing, whenever you go get some gear, the, the guys at the shop will say, all right, let's see if this is long enough. Okay, right size, go. That's that's what you get for the poles, right? Yeah, well, Alpine, you don't need a, a decent pole um, when you're just recreationally Alpine skiing. Right. Because you're not, you don't really use them to have you move along the trail. You're basically holding them and just carrying them along and use them seldomly. It's not a, a main means. If you were using your poles to go uphill, now you're talking, you got to get something that, that really makes sense. Well, and that's where your company comes in because you're the coach. You're the guy who knows the techniques and what makes this stuff work. So you're making the right kind of pole for Nordic skiing. And I just wanted to make that contrast because people often think of ski poles as, well, no one fusses over ski poles, but we're talking about Nordic ski poles. Big difference there. Yes. And that's what we specialize in. So we're one of those companies that that's really small. We're not big in advertising, but we make a really good product. We put our money into our product, not in the advertising. Mm. And the name of the company is United States Ski Pole Company. And how can people find out more information about it? USSkiPoles.com. So it's USSKIPoles.com. That's, that's our website, and you'll see all the information. We've got nice YouTube videos showing you how to use the features and how the features will benefit you. So if people wanted to uh, take part in one of your clinics, then how would they find out where you're going to be when? Yeah, right now we haven't posted our schedule for the summer online yet. I've got some opportunities overseas that, that might take place here, um, so I, I don't want to put anything out there yet for the summer. But So the best thing is just to write us directly and request one. So we've, we've got some of those in the past, and we've showed up to every one of them. So l- luckily, um, we've got, you know, info at U.S. Ski Poles is our, our website uh, um, email address. We also have, you know, like the little contact us page. You can just fill in your information, and we'll get back to you. And, you know, say where you're at, how big of a group you have, or if it's just you, um, that's fine, too. We'll we'll look at a way of, of meeting at some point and uh, doing either a technique analyst or analysis, or we will um, – you know, if you want to just try the stuff out, often we've had some people contact us saying that they, they like to demo our product. Well, we have a whole demo fleet. We've got five reps around. So often we can just connect them up with a rep that they can get their stuff. Or we're so small and, and nimble that we've sent product without even knowing the customer in an area where we don't have a rep. Say, here's a pair of poles fit to your size. Try them out. If you don't like them, ship them back. If you like them, you can buy them. Well, tell us a little bit about your poles. Because I know that they're unique. They're made in the U.S. That's another another important thing. But what makes your pole really unique? You mentioned the, the inter-exchangeable baskets, the, the better strap designs. Sure. Our poles are the only poles in the world that have a two-year warranty and the, the only American-made option. They also are very, very lightweight. We make some of the lightest poles in the world, and they're very stiff. So that's the two main ingredients that people look for in poles, and they're priced well. We're over $100 less per pair than our competition is. So either you can buy a competitor's product that's made in China for $100 to $150 more, 
or you can buy ours, which is American-made, supporting over 120 American jobs um, for less than has a warranty. It's really a no-brainer. So the, the other main features of our poles, besides the weight and the stiffness, um, is the strap component. Um, the straps are all adjustable. Nobody has this option but us, and it has. Uh, there's four different settings, so small, medium, large, and extra large, just by a clip on the back of the strap itself allows that. So when you change your glove size or go without gloves altogether, you can make that happen in seconds. There's no messing around with any wedges or any um, fabrics that you have to move around, which is a really a fussy thing um, to get set just right. Just like moving your seat in your in your car. You know, when somebody changes the settings on your seat, you know, it's very difficult to find that right space. And it, it is that critical to, to, to have that set right. And then the other um, point too about our straps is that they're thermal. We, we sew these ourselves here in Michigan. We work with a, a mentally disabled um, group here that cuts all of our fabrics and we have a sewing agency just in charge of, of sewing all those. So there's about 25 people that are involved with the sewing of those straps and it's the highest quality, you know, double Rainier ripstop nylon. And um, there's also a, a property in there that keeps it um, really, really warm so you really don't have to worry about getting cold fingers anymore because it covers all the blood vessels in the back of your hand and i, I knew that was the biggest com- component to make this thing um you know the, the connection that people will have right away and this and the straps and uh, the grips themselves too are made of a different material than the, the cork that everyone else gives you so you look into a you go into a ski shop every grip that is on the shelf will chafe your gloves or give you blisters. And I, you know, I start out with, you know, asking anybody who works in the shop, say, Hey, show me a grip right here that doesn't chafe your gloves or give you blisters. And it's, it's really obvious to see the companies that, that offer these, they also sell gloves because they want you to <laughs> burn gloves. So it's sandpaper so we, grip, man. We got you covered. Exactly. You know, and it, people are buying it because, it's the only option. So now we have an anti-chafing grip. You know, it sounds like minimal, but it will actually save you money in the long run. And we shape them in a way that you can get more grip out of the pole. And that's one feature that they've completely overlooked. So there's a reason why the, the Europeans' name brands are making their boots in, in Europe and they're making their skis in Europe. But when it comes to the poles, they're just having the Chinese do it. Hmm. You know, that's a huge huge market that we can take over right there and we're we're able to innovate they can't you know how it is with with getting stuff from china right nothing against those nice chinese people but i mean they're totally undercutting the market by by having them do it over there and i I think just think the the european companies don't know how to make polls i'm not sure they could figure it out but heck we can do it all right here and we're doing it for cheaper than they are very cool so united states ski pole company that's where you get the polls if you want the real deal Yep, and we also have uh, 52 dealers across the U.S. and Canada. So if uh, we we pre- prevent um, from you know underselling them, so we actually have our prices on our website are ten dollars more, and you have to pay for shipping and wait the time from from to be shipped. So we we really like to promote our other American businesses. We're really about reshoring and restoring American jobs, and we we really want to help cross country skiing grow, and that means. That means that our, our ski shops need to be supported. So we promote our ski shops by, by having a slightly higher price on online. Um, so if you, if you do have a local shop, you know, we 
we'd like you to go and buy it from them before you come to us. But if there's not one available, then you have to go to us. We do have some sponsorship packages available too um, for anybody at any age, and they're not performance based too. So if you if you fit that criteria, we can um, we can send you an application, and we're always looking at them every day. That's awesome. Well, you know, back to just the love of the sport. Something I want to throw out there is that a lot of people haven't learned how to enjoy their winters. They they sit around for the winter, waiting for the summer to arrive so they can go do what they love to do again. And they get cabin fever, and they, they lose some of their fitness level, and then spring comes, and it's like, ah, trying all over again. I think people really need a winter sport that they can love and get enthusiastic about. And I throw that out there because Nordic skiing, in my mind, is an excellent option. It doesn't have to be expensive. You can do it all over the United States. If you have snow, you can do this, right? Yep, yep, sure can. And uh, once you got a, you know, the equipment, you can just roll it out right out your door. And, you know, going down even just a, a three-foot hill is a thrill. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love the idea of sports that are accessible for everyone. And uh, like I said, you have to be where there's snow. But besides that, and I guess in the summer you can still do this with the roller skis, right? Yep. We have a full fleet of roller skis uh, we're importing from Canada. They're, uh, they're a wonderful way of uh, you know, continuing on your fitness and uh, learning more skills, getting stronger, you know, just there's people that don't even race that roller ski all the time. The biggest roller ski market right now that's, that's growing in population is in London. And they have no intent on actually ever owning a pair of skis. Right. They just love roller skiing and they love roller skiing in big groups. There's, they're, they're, they're taking over London in packs. <laughs> that's great. Well, roller skiing looks like a ton of fun, but I've not done it. How similar is it to Nordic skiing on the snow? Uh, you know, it, it's like the difference between ice skating and rollerblading. You know, you have more bumps, um, but you can still enjoy it. Um, there are no breaks with roller skis, at least, you know, the most common ones. But you find ways of, uh, of slowing yourself down. Um, you, you're a lot more alert at, um, to what's coming in front of you and your, your overall speed around you. Um, you can take, tur- you know, S-turns, or I often put one roller ski into the um on the grass like if i'm on a bike path you often have grass next to you or a little dirt path you keep one on the on the track and then one on on the grass and that'll slow you down a little bit of a dampener um you know if you really need to slow down but uh no otherwise it's it's really similar i'd say it's the best comparison you're going to get hmm that's fine so you can make it a year-round sport or you could even do this sport where there is no snow that could happen yep i love it you know, we're, we're about out of time here, but I'll bet you have another story for us. Maybe something inspirational or funny that, that uh, would be about Nordic skiing. See, oh, yeah. Um, um, this involves me in, in a town called Homer, Alaska. I was a junior in high school, and, and uh, I developed uh, some shoulder injury before the, the ski season. So um, I decided not to use my poles in the race. And I started with a friend's pair of poles that... Uh, and so this was about 20 years ago now, but I, I started with a friend's pair of poles and, and we were in a mass start and I, I had a double pull about a hundred meters to start the course with everyone else. And I ended up breaking that one of the poles on the, off the start line. And, uh, I, I ended up throwing the poles off to the side anyway. And I skied about five kilometers into the race with the lead pack without poles. I was having so much fun and I expected to be more toward the back, but because I had that handicap of not having poles, 
I just felt it was just, hey, you know, I got a ton to lose. I can have a lot of fun here. And uh, it was just so thrilling. I just kept it going and kept it going. And I said, well, hey, maybe I can win this thing. It'll be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> to not have both. And so I took the lead. Um, it was a 10K, and I, I took the lead at about a 5K in. And I, um, the, uh, there, and Homer has some really unusual terrain. There's a lot of um, tundra and, like, frost teams. So the, there's a lot of, like, rolling train like really sh- short steep little hills um, right like your ski has a hard time flexing because it's it's so you know like up down up down up down up down these little little hills um that you're well, more like bumps like you see a bmx park and my one of my skis ended up breaking in half <laughs> oh no <laughs> and i had about three kilometers left and i had you know no poles and one good ski and <laughs> i thought this is this is just unbelievable <laughs> so having as much fun as i would more fun than i would ever have imagined that day i i had one of my my most memorable events just just you know i had nothing to lose and everything to to gain from it and i ended up winning the race it was just unbelievable <laughs> now how do you win a race with a broken ski tell tell us how that happened <laughs> well i had such high fitness from running too that um that related well into into my my lower body because I, I didn't have to use my upper body at all, you know, with, without using poles. So, did you have enough ski left that you could kind of use it, or did you have to kick the thing off yeah. and just kind of? No, it, it it was still with me. Like the tail broke right behind my heel, so it was kind of flipped up uh, up near my calf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had the front end of it, but the back end was just kind of like hanging out back there, and. uh so I could use it in some parts, like to push off on the side a little bit here and there, but I use mostly my other foot, kind of like a skateboard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was a really fun, fun uh, event. That well, what did people say unusual. about that? I mean, that's amazing. Well, the, I don't know. Some, some of the officials almost wanted to disqualify me because, you know, almost an act of showing off. <laughs> you know, You're like, like, well, like, hey, what do you do? You know? <laughs> Yeah. Like what what is this? Did he cheat? I mean how did this this isn't even possible. <laughs> I I took a bad situation and um and I, I just turned it into a really positive positive thing, which I wasn't even expecting. So yeah, those days which are which are great and things. So uh yeah, even my athlete that I, I worked with in Peru, um, he qualified for Sochi and I went with him to the uh the Russian Olympics there in Sochi. And three weeks before his race, we were out in Austria and he fell on a real sharp corner um, going downhill in the Alps there, and, and he um, broke his rib and fractured a few others. Wow. So um, after talking with him, I'm like, you know, what do you got to lose? You know, like, here you've got a broken rib. you got a race in the Olympics. We've been training for the last four years. You know, you got thousands of people in your country that are looking up to you because he's the first winter Olympian of all time from Peru. He went to um, Vancouver as well. It was his first Olympics, but I taught him how to classic ski. So um, there's been a lot of work put into this thing and, and, uh, he was ready to quit, but I, I kind of using my experience and saying, you know, this could be a lot of fun, you know, it's going to be painful, you know, especially breathing at that altitude and those huge hills that we had to ski in and, and Russia, but I said, you know, people are going to look up to you even more if you compete in this, he could have done the, you know, 1.8 K sprint and just got the same title as the, you know, as an Olympic athlete at the um at the, at the sochi games but no he chose to do the event that he originally signed up for in the 15k wow and uh you know i, I really feel proud of 
him for the technique that he was able to, to maintain, um, his background and, and all the work that he endured. And then the injury on top of that just really, it really shows you how, how dedicated he was. And uh, in all fairness to my athlete and, and, uh, from Mexico that competed in Pyeongchang, he slipped right when we were walking out of the wax room to go do our warm up, and he really hurt his ankle. I mean, it, it swelled up and we're looking at it and we have an hour till a start. Uh-huh. You know, what are you going to do? You know, he, he really should not have competed, but it's the Olympic games. And, you know, this is one time every four years and he worked, you know, the last year just to, just to get there. And <laughs> it's like, you're going to have to raise injured. You know, I don't know what, it's just a parallel between the two guys that I coached. They both started race injured. They're both 43. They're both from, you know, these small nations that don't have teams. And they both met Dario Colonia at the finish line. They both finished last. It, you know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, the beautiful thing is, though, that you've got the great attitude about it. And that's something I, I had to highlight. You know, your, your ski broke. Your, your shoulder was injured. You ended up without poles. And you decided, well, I'm just going to have fun then. And you won the race. And part yeah. of that is because you had the right attitude. And that's what you were encouraging with your guys, you know, at the Olympics as well. Is well, hey, have the right attitude. Make the most of this experience, you know? And I think that's yeah. so beautiful. That applies to all of life. That's not just about Nordic skiing, is it? Yeah, correct. Yeah, they could either of those guys could have said, Oh, I'm done. I'm taking my excuse. I don't have to compete. You know, they got their ticket to the Olympics and they could have just walked off the course. But no, they had that. They had that attitude that no, I'm going to do this no matter what. I don't care if I'm, you know, we got all their limbs cut off. They're going to inch their way with their chin to get to the, you know, start of the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, you know, that's an extreme look at it. But they, they were going to do it no matter what, and no matter how long it took them to get to the finish line, they were going to do it. And that's that's the type of people that I like to work with. I get people wanting me to coach them from all these nations from all over the the planet and um i will only work with people that are that dedicated that really love the sport and they do it for the right reasons not just for the glory mm. of uh, of the title so it's a big difference and and some people have come at me as a, as a coach you know representing guys like that, that that don't finish in the you know in the top 30 you know they just think it's unfair for guys that are finishing that many minutes back from the leaders i mean granted my guys were both injured but um it's it's their story of where they come from the you know the requirements that they met and and they're they're there i mean if 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 they had if anybody had their background and had a lot more struggles to achieve what they had to endure to get there they wouldn't be saying that and um i i know these guys stories and there's a lot of people out there that that didn't make it that i could have coach to make it um just not enough time in the day and, and i'm only one person so um you know I, I do what i can and i'm looking at some opportunities right now in a in a greater sense to help more uh, because i feel that's that's kind of like my calling my my passion um is leading me towards helping a greater number learn the sport in countries that don't have the coaching um support that this nation has that canada has that the european nations and scandinavian has Right. It reminds me of Cool Runnings, of course. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah I get that bomb a lot. Sled, you know? <laughs> and they should make a movie out of what you're doing, too. <laughs> I love it. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. You have Eddie Eagle, and I mean, there's some other ones that have kind of come through. But one thing, too, like with our nation in, in its current state and 
with political parties and this and that, like me helping Mexico, it, it hit greater for Mexico, um, you know, having an American coach and helping them rather than just looking at deporting all of them, you know, right. and with yeah. all the racism we have in this country, you know, I feel more proud to, uh, to stand up and say, you know, I don't care what color skin they have. I'm going to help them out and make them the best cross country skier they can be because they want to be a cross country skier. I don't care where they come from or who they are. If they really want to become a cross country skier and, and make the best and represent their nation, I'm going to help them do it. I love it. That's a beautiful way to wrap up the show right there. So <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today about cross country skiing, Nordic skiing. I think it's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. So United States ski pole company, USSkiPoles.com. Andy Liebner, thank you so much for your time. Everyone, hey, I think that this uh, Nordic skiing thing might be something you haven't thought of. It might be a great way to get out and enjoy your winters and your summers, too, on those roller skis. So until the next show, give it a thought and make sure you do get out there. Have some fun. Yep, you won't regret it. It's the best thing you ever decided to do. Hey, if you're enjoying the Adventure Sports Podcast, would you do us a big favor and head on over to our site to adventuresportspodcast.com and click that Become a Patron button? For a mere $5 a month, you can help support the show. That's like the cost of one Amazon movie, you know, for one weekend night. So think about helping us out. We love to bring the inspiration and motivation to you guys. It's hard work. We want to keep it going. And we can always use your support. Thanks for listening, guys, and get out there and have some fun.